Hey everybody, are you enjoying what you're hearing on Nothing Off Limits? Do you like the guests? Do you like the topics? Won't you consider supporting me so I can keep this free content available to all of you? It does take a lot of work to create these shows, and so anything you can give would be highly, highly appreciated. Um, I'll be sure to give you a shout out on an upcoming episode and in our email newsletter that goes out every Monday. Just go to ladyfoxentertainment.com and click on the resources page, which you can find right on the landing page when you get there, and click on the PayPal donate button. Um, Anything you can can give is highly appreciated uh, to keep the show going until we can get to a point where we've got like million dollar sponsors. All right. So thank you again for listening and for supporting Nothing Off Limits. On to the show. Do you like to learn about random wild stuff? You know, the things you didn't think you needed to know about, then realize you should. Then welcome to Nothing Off Limits, the podcast that gives you one place to go for something different. Impress your next party guest with your unusual body of knowledge. And if you dig the show, get more information at ladyfoxentertainment.com and subscribe, rate, or review. Thanks. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Nothing Off Limits. We are now on part two with Dr. Roberta Shaler. This time, Dr. Shaler is back to dive into a specialized situation with hijackals. Today, we're going to learn how they act in courtroom situations, and she's going to share tips on how to survive these types of battles successfully. And as a reminder, you can purchase Dr. Shaler's 16 books and subscribe to her newsletter at forrelationshiphelp.com. Also, visit hijackals.com. Welcome back, Dr. Shaler. Oh, thank you so much, Michelle. It's wonderful to be with you. I'm so excited because, you know, this is a whole week dedicated to difficult people, and I feel like you're the foremost expert on this. So I'm, I'm very appreciative of you sharing all of your knowledge with us. And I want you to start by giving us just a quick review of the definition of hijackal since you trademarked that term. Sure. Well, let me tell you why I trademarked a term for this. These are people that I call chronically difficult people. They're different than people who are momentarily difficult. All of us are somebody's idea of a momentarily difficult person at some time. We're going through a bad patch, we're stressed, we're overwhelmed, we're tired, we've had a life event that has been distressing. But then there are the people who are chronically difficult. You're in relationship with them, you're always having a problem. They're always having a problem with you. They have problems with other people. And we know that. So rather than getting clinical and giving them diagnostic names from the psychological categories, I want to talk about the behavior traits of them all. And I call those hijackal traits. And therefore, I call people with them hijackals. And the definition for that is hijackals are people who hijack relationships for their own purposes while relentlessly scavenging them for power, for status, and for control. Mm, Yuck. (laughs) Indeed, yuck. (laughs) So let's go through some of those traits. Well, yes. I mean, things that you can identify right away. And as you said, if you go to hijackles.com, you can download my free ebook there called How to Spot a Hijackal. So if you're not sure, go there and download that book. So there are certain things that all hijackals have in common. I'm going to run through them quickly because we talked about them in a previous show. So one of them is what we call all or nothing thinking. That means that when you're doing what they want or when they want you to do something for them, you are the best thing in their life since sliced bread. Mm And the moment that you don't do it anymore, you are the scourge of the earth and they don't know why you draw breath. Mm -hmm. There is no gray area. It's black or it's white and they flip on a dime. So that's one thing. The second thing is they always have to win in every moment. And they will change their story from one moment to the next in order to win in the moment. Even by acting as a victim particularly by acting as a victim, because, my goodness, doesn't that get the sympathy vote? Yes. (laughs) Oh, you poor thing. I'm so sorry. You're right. I did hurt you. It's my fault. (laughs) Exactly. How thoughtless of me. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. And the third thing is because they have to win, therefore they can take no responsibility for anything because they must maintain their perfection. Mm -hmm. So they are always going to be lacking in accountability and responsibility for everything. Then they are going to, therefore, have to blame it on you. Yep. You are the response. You are the responsible one. You caused it. It was your lack of thought. It was your thoughtlessness. It was you asking for it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it will be your fault. And what they traffic in is the next one, which is uncertainty. They want to keep you off guard and uncertain. So if they say something and you say you said this, they'll say, "Oh no, I didn't." <laughs> I've experienced that big time. Yeah, so they really need the control, so they want to keep you in uncertainty. And then the last one is the big jaw-dropping one, which is hijackles also have this amazing ability to say and do things that make your jaw drop, and you ask, who does that? Yes. Nobody speaks like that. What's going on? And so it seems so incredulous to you that you begin to justify and explain mm -hmm. and make excuses. So incredulity then becomes something that happens around hijackals a lot. Mm -hmm. So those are the traits that we've spoken of before. Yeah. And, and there are more. There are oh. definitely more. I remember um, when you and I spoke offline, you said something about like deliberate procrastination, allowing problems to escalate through inaction. Like, oh, yeah, 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 I'll do that. I'll do that. And then they never do it. That's right. That's right. And and they, because they don't like conflict, when you ask them to do something, they'll agree knowing very well that they're not going to do it. Mm -hmm. But they don't want the conflict in the moment. Exactly. So so they, they don't do it, and they get the conflict on the back end, and then they make it your fault by saying, you didn't even have the right to ask me to do that. You know I'm too busy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yep. Blamed again. Yep. And also, as another afterthought to what you were saying about those jaw-dropping things that they say, and you're like, who says that? Who says something like that? They'll often come back, as you explained to me, you taught me, and say something like, oh, that was just a joke. That right. was just a joke. And that's actually happened to me. And that phrase has actually been used. I was just joking. <laughs> I'm like, what? Uh-uh. Wow. And then the other side of that, Michelle, is if they make a remark and you, you say, you know, how dare you? And they say, oh, I was just joking. If you happen to say that your feelings were hurt or whatever, they'll tell you you have a thin skin. Yeah. Right? It's always going to be use it to blame and they are right. So now that we've done the overall review and we're all shaking our heads once again for a second time, like, ah, and also seeing visuals in our own minds of people who we have now identified as hijackals, let's take it into the courtroom, which is what we promised to do in this episode. What are some examples of situations with hijackals specifically that end up in the courtroom? Well, as you can well imagine from our brief conversation even today, these are not easy people to get along with. So if you happen to be their partner, whether you're their partner in life or you're their partner in a business, you're going to have trouble with this relationship. So those are two things that go to court often uh, for divorce. And then the divorce is the gift that keeps on giving, particularly if you have children. Mm because that will get into the second realm of difficulty. And then the other side of it is um, anything to do with finances and partnership, they will take to court because they have to win and they always want more than you have. <laughs> Are they the ones taking it to court or is it usually the victim that ends up taking it to court? Oh, no, they'll take it to court because they want to win. Um, but if you take it to court first, you can bet your bottom dollar that they are going to fight a massive campaign. Ugh. So what are some tactics that they might use in the courtroom? Well, one of the things that they like to do is to always put out negative uh, interpretations of the past or any situation and paint a very negative picture. So they're going to make themselves look like the victim in situations mm -hmm. because they're very good. I mean, if you wanted to put one word 
that would sum up the exploitation, seduction, and manipulation of a hijackal, that word would be persuade, right? That that they're going to jump in and make sure they persuade the court that they are the wronged party. So what, they'll sit there and kind of like have a puppy dog face on like, I didn't do anything, that kind of thing? Some of them will. Um, others of them begin like a bulldog. You know, they will just take a very aggressive stance and say, I dare you to take me down. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So what about the lawyers? How do they fit into this? I love how you just started laughing. You're like, oh, ha, ha. <laughs> well, one thing I've learned from my limited but very real experience in the court, not being an attorney, but being called to speak on behalf of my clients, is that hijackals hire hijackal attorneys. <laughs> so they they want someone who thinks like them. So if you have a person who's fired several attorneys, you can probably guess that that person has some hijackal tendencies because they're looking for somebody who will behave like they do. Mm-hmm. Wow. I don't mean to generalize, but I would, I would imagine that a lot of defense lawyers or even um, the prosecuting attorneys, they're probably all in that same mindset anyway if they want to win. So it's probably pretty easy to find a hijackal attorney, wouldn't you say? Well, no, I, well, let me hedge that. (laughs) Um, There are a lot of really great attorneys who have to be adversarial in an adversarial process, so you want them to be. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you'd be going to mediation and taking a collaborative approach. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to go to court, you realize that you are in an adversarial system. So you want somebody strong, somebody assertive, and if necessary, aggressive. What I'm saying is a hijackal will choose a hijackal attorney, so they'll get an aggressive attorney, but they'll get someone with the turn of mind that they have. Mm Mm-hmm which does not mean all attorneys who are wonderfully assertive and aggressive and get great results are hijackals by any means. Okay. All right. So I'm glad we clarified that. So to all the lawyers out there listening, you're not necessarily a hijackal. (laughs) I just had to clear that up. Um, So as far as though the hijackal choosing the attorney, um, is there ever a time when they kind of take advantage of the attorney? Let's say the attorney is not a hijackal and is trying to take the high road on the case. Sure. Well, that, that's when you get into them having an attorney that they choose that they think they can manipulate, mm-hmm. right? And then they dominate them. That's where you find people um, hijackals seducing their attorneys. Not necessarily sexually, but that happens. Um, uh, really? Seducing them into believing everything they say, and that's a big gotcha. And so the the hijackal then becomes absolutely in charge of what's going on in the courtroom. Wow. That's scary that you think that there are attorneys that are, you know, would fall under their spell, so to speak. Oh, yes, there are. And, you know, let me let me also make a, a case for the fact I'm not discussing what happens once the judge gets into the room. I'm talking right now about when the attorneys are in the room. It's not that judges allow this in all cases, but this is what they go, the the attorney goes in expecting to take over and run the show, right? Yeah. So can you give us an example um, of cases that you've been called to the stand to come in and speak about? What was your role in that? Well, in one case, I was speaking on behalf of my client when this case was the ex-wife, and she and her husband had been divorced for 12 years. They had three children. Her husband had remarried five years prior, um, and this is a great example of a hijackal at work. Even though he was married, uh, very successful, very, very um, wealthy, Uh, you would think he had another life to attend to, he was still sending her 10 to 12 emails a day trying to control her thoughts, her life, and her life with the children. Goodness. So this had been going on too long, and the court was really getting quite 
quite upset with it. They were just taking up too much court time. Because one thing that happens when you endeavor to divorce a hijackal, you may get a divorce, but you will still start thinking of court as your second home because they're very partial to ex parte motions. Every time they're unhappy a little bit, they threaten to take you to court and then they do it. So wow. that's a difficulty. But in this particular case, I had seen the children. I had met the hijackal. I was, the client was, was um, the ex-wife. And the court was pretty much getting to the end of their tether with listening to this. So I was called in to speak about what I had seen and experienced within the family dynamic. As their therapist. As the therapist, yes. Uh, I don't consider my, I don't use that term for myself anymore. I call myself a relationship consultant and educator, but mm -hmm. of course I am trained to be that other as well. So I had was given uh, a fair amount of time to speak and I was asked questions, of course, and I was very, very clear and directive about what I had seen in a very factual way, because you always must be completely factual right. when with these. And <clears throat> so that must be difficult on it your is. because yeah. you know whoever called you first, and especially if you've been through a situation that's similar yourself, where you've had to deal with this personality type. I can't imagine how you could just be neutral and look at it from a factual standpoint when you're like, clearly, clearly, this this part of the the union here is not working. This is not working. <laughs> right, I'm calling well, this out. Yeah, that becomes a fact in itself. You know, obviously, it's dysfunctional. If somebody's sending twelve emails a day after twelve years, uh, the fact of the matter, the documentation. That's why I always tell my clients write down everything that happens, time, date, and description. Yeah, yeah. It becomes very important. So, in in this case, uh, I was heard. We recessed for lunch. I talked with the attorney of my client. We came back in. Um, now it was the other side's turn. The hijackal is on the stand. He is getting progressively more uh, irritated, getting louder, getting angry. His lawyer is pacing back and forth in his clogs, making a big scene. And <laughs> finally, the, finally, the judge says, all right, gentlemen, I've heard enough. We're going to listen to what the good doctor said, and here's what we're going to do. Mm. And oh, my word, they were very unhappy. I'm sure, because <laughs> that means they lose. That's right. They are, And anything less than getting everything that they wanted is a complete loss to them. Mm. So, mm. Yeah, they did lose, and they lost big time. Well, Thanks to you for, for taking time to go and be on the stand um, and, and assist in that situation. Um, that's a good therapist, a good relationship help doctor, consultant. Um, so I want to go back before court, prior to getting into the courtroom, and talk about how somebody who is in a troublesome relationship, whether it's a spouse or even just you're living together, um, and maybe you share assets, or a business partner. What are the first steps that you consult with your clients to take in order to begin the separation process from a hijackal? Well, first of all, I invite them to work with me privately for a little while, because they haven't been systematically heard. And by that, I mean, They've got a lot of complaints. They're quite holistic about them. There's complaints in the 360-degree range, and they don't know what's justified, what's not. They've gotten a little lost in the process because there's so many emotions and facts and pieces. So I work with them privately first to sift and sort and think things through, and then, then we look at what is their next best step. Now, a caveat here, Michelle, is that when someone comes to me and they say, I'm in, I'm in, I think I'm in a relationship with a hijackal, should I leave? I always say, no, not unless there is physical abuse. Mm -hmm. uh, and the reason for that is that if you are in, a, in that situation, there's something within you that 
that made it all right for you to be there. And we have to look at that first. We have to look at the changes within the non-hijackal that are required so that they can understand themselves, they can strengthen themselves, they can get their head on straight, and they can try some strategies to see if that will change the dynamic. Because hijackals actually run in my system from one to ten. You can have a low-level hijackal that only comes out at the very worst moments possible, and then you could, and that's a one, and a ten could be somebody who behaves like that all the time with everybody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we have to determine what the level is, uh, what we could do to ameliorate that situation authentically and strategically. The big thing is when you're with a hijackal, you have to be authentic and strategic. And most people don't know how to be strategic or what to be strategic about. Mm-hmm. So we separate that out. And then we determine if they're leaving the relationship. So you mentioned that you say, no, don't leave until we kind of assess the situation or unless there's physical abuse. But what if there is intense psychological abuse? You mentioned earlier in this episode about the words, the jaw-dropping words and things that they say that are just like, who says that? That's the kind of stuff that can be extremely damaging and cause PTSD in some people as well. So what about that? Well, if you feel like you are being physically slammed by words, it's always a good idea to take a break. But don't go out with threats and demands. Just say, I need a break. Um, Let's, you know, go on vacation, go visit a friend, do something to get some perspective. Um, If you have to get out, you have to get out. Yeah, yeah. But in most cases, that's not the case because you've only just become aware of what you've been in by the Mm -hmm. time you come to me. Mm -hmm. It's up to then. It's been okay with you at some level. You haven't liked it, but you haven't had enough enough desire to have it be different that you've considered leaving. Mm -hmm. So in most cases, people are safe to stay. But if there's any um, acceleration or escalation in the behaviors that would cause them to be fearful by all means, get out. Yes. And also, and I want to add to that, um, if there's alcohol abuse or any of that kind of stuff going on too, it's like when it adds to the change in personality of the hijackal, right? So it's like you're dealing with Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. In that case, you know, probably a good idea to get out, in my opinion. Absolutely, because risky behaviors will accelerate the hijackal behaviors. Mm-hmm. So, absolutely right. If there's alcohol or drugs involved, all bets are off. Okay. Uh, but I'm t- I'm speaking. Of, you're you're engaging in emotional abuse by being there. I recognize that. But you've been there a long time. First of all, get your head on straight, if possible. Many people come to me and they say, "But I really love my partner." What can I do from within the relationship? There are things you can do. And so better to try them in the inside rather than try them later from the outside. Okay. So you work with your clients to get to this point of assessing the situation, getting their head on straight, really seeing the situation for what it is, if there are any strategies that they could start using now before they have to, you know, file for divorce or file for um, getting out of the business, whatever that needs to happen there, right? Like breaking the partnership. Once they decide, yes, this is a good idea, I have to get out, then what? Well, then I I help them understand how the court process works, and I walk with them through that process so that they are feeling empowered as they go through it. There's enough about it that is scary, (laughs) so you need someone to walk with you. You know, many, many people have been put off getting a divorce because they don't want to go to court and they don't want to deal with the legal system. Mm -hmm. Or the cost associated with it, I guess. Well, that's true. And because I'm a professional mediator, I can help with that, right? Mm -hmm. Not Mm -hmm. with the cost, but with reducing the cost. Right, right. So so there are things that I can help with. And then if, if if it goes according to plan... Um, they will eventually get their hearings and we'll be dealing with teaching, sometimes helping their attorneys understand the other side, you know, what my client is actually talking about. 
Um, because Do you find that it's hard to find an attorney who understands what a hijackle is? Uh, yes, it is unfortunate. Because they might be one themselves. <laughs> but, yeah, that's true. Uh, everybody has that potential, but um, it's more that um, they're they're trained in an adversarial process that mimics the hijackle process. Yeah. So they don't see the similar problems that I see. They don't see the patterns that I see, and they don't get the the picture over time. They tend to get more of a snapshot. The court itself gets an even quicker snapshot. Mm. So helping them, them be able to see the patterns and give voice to the patterns and, and also be able to cross-examine the hijackal well, knowing how their mind works. Mm, that's great. So you consult the lawyers, the attorneys on how best to get the information that you need out of the hijackal. Yes. That's awesome. I love that. You're like uh, Matlock. <laughs> <laughs> I used to love that show. Yes. So, all right, you get to court, you've already prepped your clients for what to expect, and um, they feel empowered. Now they know what to do. You're helping their attorney understand the other side of this so that they can go in empowered as well. What are some of the reactions uh, that your client or the victim, if we want to put it in those terms, who's um, in court and we can call this in any situation, whether it's for a personal divorce or for a divorce from a business situation, a business partnership. Um, what are some of the reactions that they should expect from the hijackal? You mentioned earlier about them getting upset um, on the stand. What else? Well, they're going to, they cannot take any blame. So they are going to be outraged if anything sounds as though it lands at their door, that mm -hmm. they caused anything, they did anything wrong. So you can look for high drama from a hijackal. Uh, they, are, they are going to, like I said earlier, have to win in the moment. So they will go down one line of questioning and they will say what they have to say to win in that moment. The other attorney will get up and question them. They can see that they can't win with that line here. They will, they will take another tact. And so they will um, they will they will make up these what we call emotional facts and if they get if they don't get seen by my client's attorney and called out which is a lot of what I do in helping attorneys um, then they will stand as facts and so let me tell you about emotional facts because that's a really big deal this is when somebody's emotionally generated information, not true, just within themselves, they use it and pretend it is true, and then they base a request on it. Like, uh, because, because my wife hates me and is endeavoring to hold the children back from me, I need the court to rule in my favor. The wife is not holding the children back from him. The wife does not hate him. None of those things are true. But the emotional fact and the snapshot nature of the court makes that sound like, oh, that's terrible. Of course he should have the children. Yeah, but the court, the, the lawyers and the judge should be well aware that that's a tactic, shouldn't they? Well, you would think that that would be the case. To stick to How facts. That's not, that's not a fact. That's an opinion that she hates you. Did but the lady see, say it? You see that. I see that. Not everybody sees that because what they do is this. They make an emotional fact appear to be true. Then they add two or three sentences to it. You've lost the beginning of what the basis was. And now the court's focusing on the last thing said. <laughs> Wow. And they do this, like hijackals just naturally have this ability. Yes, yes, yes. You know, now God bless hijackals because they they deserve love and attention and compassion too. They didn't set out to be this way. Their earlier life set them up for it. Mm -hmm. It's not like we're painting somebody into a corner here. They... This is what life served up for them, and this is their response to it. And so we just have to know about this. 
you know, if if I am dealing with a person who is disabled in any way that I can see, it's no different than recognizing that somebody can be emotionally disabled and taking that into account. Yeah. I want to know what changes once children are involved. Does it get, I would imagine, it gets even more complex and more difficult. But, I mean, have you ever worked in a situation where you have to deal with both your client, one of the parents, as well as protecting the children and their best interests? Sure, all the time. <laughs> Tell yeah, us an example of that. Difficult. Well, I can think of a, of a man who is my client who came to me. He raised the child alone because the mother was always out partying and doing drugs and drinking. Um, she was. Uh, she had admitted to the court that she did these things in one of the wild moments when she thought that would get her what she wanted. <laughs> mm-hmm. So she was on the court record as all of that. Um, but one day she decided to wake up and realize that she could probably make his life really miserable, even though they'd been divorced a long time and uh, he'd been raising the child, generally, um, because she was angry because she just had a second divorce. So she went back and decided that she wanted to tell make an allegation to CPS, Child Protective Services, that he was abusing the child and she needed to have 100% custody. Out of the blue. Wow. Right. So I was working with the child and with the father. And then I had the opportunity of working with the mother and the mother's therapist as well, briefly. And I got to see the entire situation. And then I got to hear about the situation uh, from the point of view of the two attorneys. And very, very sad situation. The, the attorney for the mother was just not what you would hope an officer of the court would be. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Um, lied, conniving, probably... Um, and I have no proof of these things because I have never talked to this person, but from the paper trail, it seemed evident that this person was also a hijackal. Ruthless. Uh, I got pieces of paper from the court that he had put in there that were absolutely the 180 degree opposite of what truth was. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so this is going ahead. You know, this, this is, this is going on. So we had to be very, very, very systematic. And at the point that I came into the position, the man had not seen his son for four months. The child was just beside himself. And the only time that he could see his son was in my office with me. Wow. It wasn't supervised visit. It was conjoint therapy. And so I got to see this child, talk to the child alone, work with the father, see the mother, see the mother's therapist, see the whole picture. I have never seen anything so sad and so off the rails and so wrong on so many levels, Michelle. But the fact is that by systematically working with the facts, getting the father to be extremely calm and factual, working with her attorney, working with several other um, professionals, the father now has 50% custody. Wow. Yeah. Versus getting zero nothing. yeah nothing yeah yeah you are, wow i mean it's there's so much that goes on and it's sad too that people can't stop this need the hijackals can't stop this need to win and to play these nasty games it's like why are we trying to hurt each other in my mind i mean i look at it from such a simplistic point of view but it's like if you get married to somebody that means that you likely love that person and you're looking to build a life with them why would you turn on them so nastily oh they 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 always were turned on you see the thing is with the hijackal nature the way the hijackal traits are these people have learned to mimic emotions, mimic empathy. Uh, they are chameleons in the feeling world. They will be who you want them to be. They will appear to be your soulmate. They'll appear to know you better than anybody else because they have what I call hadar, hijackal radar. Yep. And I train my my clients to have hijackal radar so they never rent, they never <laughs> never have a problem with them again. Right. Um, 
but they they know how to get your number and absolutely entrance you, charm you, manipulate you, seduce you, exploit you. And when you finally, when when their facade breaks a couple of times before you've made the commitment, they you explain it away and they explain it away because you know they knew that they almost got caught. And then by the time the honeymoon is over and you have committed or you're living with or married to this person, then the facade starts to break down without any reason. And then you begin to see that all that time they were busy getting you, now every day is going to be a gotcha. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. That just made total sense now. They do. They spend a long time trying trying to win you. And then once you're in... You're right. They turn around. Mm-hmm. That's that Dr. Je- Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde behavior I mentioned. Sure. Sure. And you're like, who is this person? That's right. And then, then what do you want to do? You don't want to be wrong. You don't want to have been sucked in. Yeah. So you start making justifications and rationalizations. And, and then if you happen to be a woman, you're a cultured to nurture them to take care of the, oh, if I'm just more patient, if I'm just more loving, he didn't <laughs> love in his life, I will love him and he will change. Mm. You get all of these compensatory behaviors, none of which are going to work, but you don't want to give up. You don't want to see that you are nurturing this plant that you're sure is going to blossom and find out it's a weed. Yeah. Well, my Hadar is on high alert. So now I do want to get out ASAP. ASAP I see one little thing I might be over the top now like yeah it's like in the red now so I just meet somebody new and I'm like hi Jackal done (laughs) no ball always remember if you meet somebody who's already had three or four partners with a long term relationship they were the constant in all of those Mm -hmm. so find out what's going on for them and let me give a caveat there because if you happen to be raised by hijackals, you are normalized to this, and you might attract hijackals repeatedly and have serial monogamy of that kind wow. until you know what's going on and you change. Do you help your clients work through the healing those wounds that were from childhood from maybe hijackal parents? Absolutely, because I had hijackal parents. Tell us your story. Tell us your entire story. Oh, my goodness. You don't have enough time. But <laughs> The Cliff's Notes version. Because, All right. The Cliff's yeah. Notes version is I am the only child of a mother who developed uh, hijackal tendencies after a very, very difficult birth of mine. She didn't want to have children. Mm-hmm. And she went into uh, a condition where she had to go to a mental hospital for two years. Wow. And my father is an extreme, was an extreme passive aggressive. So that's a very bad combination. Couple that with the fact that I'm an only child. So I have two giants that I'm supposed to please, both of whom are dedicated to not being pleased. Both of them are dedicated to winning, one covertly, one overtly. And so I am watching this model of how to be an adult and how to be an adult in a relationship. When that happens to a child and you you recognize that this is really sick and sad and I was I was abused in this situation uh, repeatedly uh, with several offenders um, and you tell somebody out in the community hijackals have such a veneer in the community that people would say to me Oh, that's terrible. Don't you say that about your father? He's a wonderful man. Hmm. Yeah, because they project charming traits to everyone else, but then at home they're a different person. That's right. So that was my beginning. Fortunately, I was pretty bright. And I'm looking at this and going, this is crazy-making behavior. These people are not doing well. So I became parentified at nine years old. I was just going to say, how old were you when you came to that realization? I was nine. Mm -hmm. And I had been uh, molested and I had been abused. And when I I went to my parents the night that the babysitter had molested me and I told them what happened, here's what happened. My mother said, You have to be lying. Nine-year-old children don't know that kind of thing. What? 
And I said to my mother, well, then if, if I'm not supposed to know it and I'm telling you about it, then it must have happened. She reiterated, you have to be lying. Nine-year-old children don't know that kind of thing. And my father, who had abused me when I was younger, decided to remain silent. Wow. When I was 40, I sat them down and, and told them the same story. My mother said, that's absolutely right. You had to be lying. Nine-year-old children don't know that kind of thing. And my father said, never heard of it before. Oh, my gosh. So this is the kind of thing that happens to the children. Why did you bother going back at age 40? Well, I was taking care of them. I'm an only child, and they were sick. Yeah. Um, that's, but you see, that's about who I am, not who they are. And we always have to make that distinction. I am a person who would take care of them when they needed help because that's who I am. Not because I thought they were wonderful people, but because they were my parents. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. So yeah. there's a distinction there. But of course, then I attracted a hijackal, right? I'm an overly sexualized teenager. I go to college. I'm a bo blonde bombshell. <laughs> yeah. Come I, on, Roberta. <laughs> yeah. So I attract a hijackal. Right? Lovely. Of course. So, you know, then I go through this period of time, well, no, no, I can do this. I can do this. I can manage. And he's running after me with a butcher knife or smashing wine glasses or trying to jump out of a car when drunk. Oh, God. All kinds of things. And we have children. And You've so already had children and this behavior is going on? Yeah. yeah. So was this going on prior to and you still, you still no. felt like you could manage? No, this, this happened after, after the, the kids. After the birth, yeah. So he played that game that you explained earlier of charming, 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 charming. And then he got you. And, and now. The victim, 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 victim. Yeah. 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 And then, um, you know, and we were madly in love. It was lovely. It was delightful. It was the first time that I, I really, really felt that. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, fast forward to the fact that. Um, I'm going through, he goes back to school, I'm working, I have a wonderful job, I won a Crest Canada competition to be principal of an experimental school, and I'm getting a lot of press, a lot of notice, which he can't stand, so the next thing happens, I'm balancing the checkbook, I come across a check to a flower shop, I ask what it is, and he said, oh, I took a woman to a dance. <laughs> what? Right, yeah. No. So, mm -mm. You, know, you want to know my story. So that's that's what happened there. So I divorced him. Now, here's something that's interesting. Wait, you went from flowers to divorce? Like well, immediate? Moment, I mean, that was that was the final straw and the proof that what had been going on. Now, at this time, were you already specializing in? No. Uh, okay. So this was the catalyst for what you do now. Yes. Wow. Yes, yes. It took a long time for that to dawn. That's why I'm so fascinated by helping people and so passionate about helping people because I want to help them shortcut the journey. Mine took a long time. Mm -hmm. You know, I knew three hijackles before I smartened up. Yes. Yeah. Right? I'm still going through the process. I've been through a few. Okay, so here's an example, and I'll stop my story at the end of my first divorce. I... Back in that day, you could only get a divorce on the grounds of uh, adultery. And I <clears throat> needed a divorce from this man, um, but I couldn't prove adultery. So I, was, I hired the highest praised lawyer I could to go for emotional abuse. Mm -hmm. So we go into court, and the, the case bef before us, woman has photographs, been to the hospital, her husband pushed her down the stairs, she's got injuries, photographs of the injuries, police reports, everything. The judge says, normal wear and tear of a marriage, no divorce. <gasps> so you're like, I'm in trouble. I'm not going to win this. <sighs> yeah, I am just not. Wear no. and tear. Yeah. So I'm thinking, oh, no, 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 no. I'm laughing, but that's horrific. Well, it's shadow laughter, isn't it? It's just horrific. Yeah. So. Our case comes up. Now, here's where the hijackalness comes up. He's on the stand. First, the judge says to him, could you tell us why you're in court today? And he looks at me with this deep, piercing, I'm going to knock your socks off look. 
And he says, yes, I committed adultery on this date, which was our wedding anniversary. Hmm. And the judge went, divorce granted next. (laughs) (laughs) Because his desire to make me hurt by my being the only one who knew that it was our wedding anniversary caused him to not realize that he just gave grounds for divorce. Yeah. Because that overshadowed his, that was the need to win, was to hurt you. Hurting you was more important than, you know, winning the divorce. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. Ugh. So it goes back to your initial definition of them, um, you know, scavenging for power, control, all of that kind of stuff. And that's exactly what happened. I, I would imagine that that did hurt your feelings, but you probably also felt no, happy. You didn't? <laughs> no, it didn't. Awesome. I, I looked at him and went, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Woohoo! No. <laughs> so then what happened with your kids? Because you had children. Right. Well, fortunately, my children were very, very young. And so it created a problem from the point of view of custody. Because when he had them, it was all bad-mouthing me. Mm. And when I had them, it was damage control to keep them healthy. So it became, you know, and, and of course, he, he I don't want to bad-mouth him terribly. This is just between him and I. Sure. He did wonderful things with the children. He loved the children. He also did some not wonderful things with the children. He was a normal dad with a little bit of a dark side now and again. Okay. So uh, it was me who got the brunt, not the children. Right. Right. And that often happens because they want to be loved. So therefore, they tend to do lovable things as long as they're getting the right response from the children. Right. And your kids, did your kids understand what had happened between you two? Oh, no. No, no. Did they ever ask when they got older? Um, yeah. Yeah, they did. And I explained everything. But, you know, if you've already made up your mind, then that's the way it is. So my oldest is a girl, and she understood. And the younger is a boy, and he was the apple of his daddy's eye. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't going to take that away from him, yeah. right? Yeah. So... You just have to be wise in the process. So the hijackal personality traits, they kind of go through the blood. So do you think that your kids were kind of, you know, left unscathed since the situation ended when they were really young? No, because he dragged me through court when I had very little money. And if I wanted to have any time, if I wanted to keep my custody agreements the way they were, I had to come up with the money. So he took the money out of the children's lives that way. Um, So is this over now? Is it over, over, over? Or do you still struggle with this situation today? Oh, no, he's dead. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) okay. Yes, that's over. (laughs) It's very over. But it's over in the physical, but in the the perception. In the emotional. No, no, it's not over. Yeah. No. Yeah. How do you work with your clients then to keep them uh, surviving even after the fact? Once they've been granted that divorce or they've been granted the separation from a business with a hijackal, how do you keep them surviving if the hijackal continues to come around, whether it's actually literally physically or even in an emotional way? Well, it's a long road back to help if you've been... uh, prey of a hijackal and the longer that you were in it the more likelihood you were groomed for it by your early life Mm -hmm. and you have to really sift and sort all of that michelle and and reconstruct yourself and that's the great joy it's like you come in to see me I, i always tell people this you come to see me because you want the use of both hands And they say, what do you mean? Because that sounds a bit odd. And I'll say, well, usually people who come to see me only have the use of one hand because the other hand is firmly holding the lid on a can of worms. Mm -hmm. So our task together will be to take out one worm at a time and dissect it until the can is empty and you get the use of both hands. 
Wow. So it's a process. There could be a lot of uh, forgiveness that needs to happen of yourself, too, for allowing yourself to get involved in the situation to begin with, right? Uh, absolutely, because you have to learn that you didn't really have a choice. So there's no point in blaming yourself. Uh, you were you were groomed for this, and you were you were hijackal bait, and so they can smell that a mile away. And actually, the science actually shows that in about four percent of the population that that fall in a particular category of hijackal actually can sense a pheromone for what I call hijackal bait. Wow find you in a room so i must be hijack obeyed because i've had a few um how can i change my pheromones <laughs> well, no, <laughs> should I wear more perfume or something <laughs> um no i i really what you have to do is to change your ability to see in the moment to uh, calibrate your reality to not have you know, not be wearing rose-colored glasses because it's darn hard to see red flags when you're wearing rose-colored glasses. So true. So true. Well said. Oh, you've shared so many great tips with us. I know that you're, there are probably people out there listening who still have so many more questions to ask, um, especially with their specific situation. So if you are one of those people listening who wants some help, please reach out to Dr. Shaler by going to forrelationshiphelp.com, also hijackals.com. And she has a new Facebook group, which is private. So you can um, reach out that way and be, become part of a community of people who have suffered from being part of a relationship with a hijackal. And what is the name of that group, Roberta? It's a closed group, and it's called Surviving Hijackals. Okay, so do a search on that on Facebook. Ask to join, and um, she'll get you into the group so you can have a nice little support community. And also, uh, Dr. Shaler has an amazing YouTube channel, too. So go on there, lots of videos to help you keep surviving hijackals. Dr. Shaler, thank you so much for being on Nothing Off Limits. Oh, you're so welcome, Michelle. And, you know, it's my privilege to serve people all over the world because, fortunately, we have the Internet. (laughs) Absolutely. You said it. Coming up next on Nothing Off Limits, have you ever said, he's clueless? Or if you're a guy, have you said, she's needy? Maybe if I just work harder at it. Or I feel like we're roommates, not lovers. Well, if this sounds like your relationship, you might be thinking you fell for the wrong person. But as Dr. Alan Berger reveals, it's more likely that you've just fallen for the biggest myths about relationship. Come on back for Dr. Alan Berger next week when he talks about love secrets revealed. Have a great topic you'd like to hear discussed on an upcoming episode of Nothing Off Limits? Email us at ideas at ladyfoxentertainment.com. In the meantime, please subscribe, rate the show, and go to ladyfoxentertainment.com to sign up for our email list and to check out our resources page. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next time.